A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 106.9 FM. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, Dan. Haley. Happy Saturday, Haley. Dan. Haley. That's the German way of pronouncing that. Haley. Haley. I'm going to say all my H's like that. I need a wet wipe oh, for this don't. microphone. I'll clean that off. What a great way for everybody to start their Saturday. I see I can use it Hello, on everybody. Any letter. It's like Sylvester. Yeah. Wow. That's a new thing I've done. I've learned something new. A new skill. I don't know where that's marketable. I don't think it is. Uh-uh. No. You don't think at all? Anywhere? No, like we no, actually it is. Like we talked about before. So, go to the Netherlands. Oh. You'll fit right in. Uh, okay. And I could do maybe voiceovers for Oh, yeah. Cartoons or something. Exactly. Anyway, happy Saturday. I'll say it the normal way without all the extra spitting. <laughs> and I apologize. We're going to have to install a spit shield here, <laughs> and we'll all be safe. Anyway, this weekend, this past weekend, we had something kind of funny happen at the house. It was only funny after the fact, though. So Saturday came, and I did all my duties, and I decided to take a nap because I'm getting that age. When we're little, we don't like naps. Yeah. The older we get, the more we really think they're awesome. So I'm taking a nap, and as I go downstairs, my daughter is going to bake something, because she had baked something amazing the night before, and we ate the whole thing. <laughs> and so we said, do we have enough stuff to make another one? She said she did, so she's going to make that. So anyway, I take my nap, and I wake up, and I see her just standing there and staring at me. And it kind of startled me, and after I grasped what was going on, she said, the oven won't heat up. And I said, okay, how long have you been trying to heat it up? Because it's, you know, maybe just takes a while. She says, ever since you started taking your nap... Oh, no, that means it's something significant. It's not mm-hmm. just a little thing. So I go upstairs, and I was really on trying to be on my best behavior, but I wanted, well, I was frustrated. When I get frustrated, that's never good for anybody. I panic, and that means everybody gets yelled at. <laughs> oh my God. And so I'm trying not to yell at everybody or anybody. And I'm thinking, though, if you'd just woken me up, you know, yeah. because I'm looking at the clock, and I've got about 20 minutes to figure out what's wrong and get to the store and get before apart before they close. Uh-huh. So I tell Tessa, you know, you could have just woken me up. And she said, Dad, if I woke you up, do you know how ugly that would have been? Right. That's, that's not true. good. It's a no win situation for her. So anyway, I'm flying, trying to get the oven apart because I suspected it was the element, the heating element right. mm-hmm. for the oven part. So it, this, this has gone wrong before and I knew kind of what to do. So I pull out, you know, all of the, the components until I can get at it. And I was hoping that I'd see a broken element a break in it, and I would know. That's sure. exactly the problem. No such luck. So it looks okay. Oh, jeez. But I'm running out of time. So it's my best guess. So I pull the thing out, drive down to the store nervously, because I'm, I'm afraid they're going to sell, sell me something new, and it's not going to still fix the problem. I get there, and the guy tests it on the counter with a multimeter and says, yeah, there you go. There's your problem. And it made me realize we have wanted to talk, I have wanted to talk about multimeters for yeah. a while. And I, I never really could come up with that great lead in to make them exciting. And I don't know that I just. <laughs> that did I you just, sell it today? I, I don't know if I did, but for me, it really made the case because it would have made my drive to work or to the, to the store much less stressful. Right. I would have known, known what yeah. I had and, and that that was the problem. And we started talking about that, all the different uses, because a multimeter 
Dan, why don't you explain what, what, what that is? All right, sure. Well, it's an electrical measuring tool, and it measures a few different things. It measures voltage, it measures amperage, and it measures resistance. Um, and you use the different functions, obviously, for different things. But in your case, you were looking at resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, how much is, is there current that's able to flow through this, this element or not? And right. they were able to tell instantly that, no, there's no electricity that can flow through this, so therefore it's bad. So if I'd have had one of these, I could have tested that, and I would yep. have known. They run anywhere from 20. I mean, you can You, you can, can get a fancy, fancy one. But yeah, 40 bucks, 20 bucks, somewhere yeah. in that range. And yeah. we just thought we'd talk about some of the other things that we can test. And Haley, when I brought it up, first thing you brought up right yeah, off the was bat batteries. was batteries. That's what we would always use at the hardware store when anyone would come in. Oh, this isn't working. Well, is there a battery? Can we test the battery first to make sure that's not the problem? And so we would just use a multimeter really quick. Well, and imagine just a whole drawer full of batteries, yeah. which I've got at home. <laughs> and then we go through the long trial. Somebody change the channel because I can't stand watching this and I'm not getting up to hit the manual button. Oh, my so gosh. That, yeah. How dumb is that? <laughs> it didn't seem dumb until I just explained it's it. Pretty dumb. Sound yeah. Like we it. spend all this time at the drawer testing batteries. Somebody could just walk to the TV. <laughs> What's wrong with us? Lots of things. <laughs> we have huge problems. Yes, I would say. I would so agree. Batteries, a really easy test, though. It's a nice nice way and to go. And even for car batteries, you yeah. said that you tested that. Right. I had an experience one time where all the lights worked on the car. It would crank. It would start. It would try to start, but it wouldn't actually start. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was kind of perplexed, like, what's going on? I tested the b- voltage coming out of the battery, and it wasn't 12 volts. And that, I found, from talking to the car dealership, is a... A feature that the car has is it won't let it start unless there's at least 12 volts there. Okay. And so I was at like 11.5 volts or something. and No Just starting enough. for you. Right. Mm-hmm. wouldn't start. But I knew right then that that was the problem. You know, it wasn't something with, I had bad gas or whatever else. It was just that the battery wasn't. So you didn't have bad gas. That's I, good I, to know. Yeah, right. That's good yeah. to know. <laughs> right. So there's different things you can do also. So those are voltage things, yeah. but also resistance thing. You know, like we talked about the oven element. The Another one that I used on a car just very recently was to check fuses. My mm. eyesight's not really great. And sometimes that little thread, it's hard to see. Did that, is it broken? Is it not? And uh, so I had to, I had a circuit that wasn't working in a car and I tested the fuses and sure enough, one of those was bad. There oh, was wow. no continuity. There was, you know, no, infinite resistance. So there's a lot of little handy things you can do with the multimeter. For something that's 20 bucks, 20 to 40 bucks, somewhere in that range. Yeah, a lot of cool things that you can do with it. Yeah, you can check lights. I mean, extension cords even. I've had an extension cord go bad, and I didn't know what was going on. Dan, you said that you had a pile of bad extension cords, and you always pick the wrong one first because you, you don't throw it away. batteries? <laughs> I do. I know. Yes, we've all established that maybe my methods... You hoard broken things. I do, and then I'm always frustrated when they don't work. So I'm going to get one of these and just test the pile. Piles of yes, junk that's that I've a got. good idea. And then I'll put them in different piles, and then I'll <laughs> store them that way. Anyway, perfect multimeters. A lot of different things you can do with them. That's just scraping simple the to surface, use. Right? Yeah, very cheap, and it saves you so much stress. Right. We'll put a couple links in the show notes if you want to check some out. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we're going to pick up on something that we started talking about last week, and that's painted wood floors. We just didn't get to all the things that we thought were really important. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. Stay tuned. 
helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back, and we're going to talk about something. I'm very sorry, Haley. I think this is hilarious. <laughs> she just took a great big bite of a, what is it, a soda cracker? Yeah, a club cracker. A club cracker. <laughs> Stuff that in her mouth, and I start going, and she's busy trying to suck so down water. So dry. <laughs> Are you ready to continue? Maybe. I don't know. All right. Well, you've got your water there, mm-hmm. so you can work through it. Anyway, I'll carry it for a little while, and then you just jump in when you're ready. When your saliva has kicked in. All right. All right. Anyway, last week we talked about a project that I really, I tackled at my old house. I think it is so great. Painted wood floors. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about plank flooring, painting those. We know it's not for everybody. We know there are a group of people who, if it's wood, it's got to stay stained and varnished. And that's good. We affirm you in that stance. Yes. But but there are situations. Right. There's certain times where it's really a great option to paint these floors. And last week we went through a basic Mm how-to. We had great big plans for what we were going to do. And really what we ended up getting accomplished was just the how-to. And so if you missed that, you're going to want to go back, at least if you're interested in this project, go back and check out our show notes. We'll have a link to the how-to that walks you through all the steps and what you'd want to consider if you're going to jump in. But what we didn't get is an opportunity to talk about all the reasons why we think this is such a good project and also all of the cool options out there. We just kind of skimmed over a few. Yeah, we glazed over that part. Yeah, you ready to talk now? (laughs) I can talk now. All right, I'm going to hand it over to you for a minute. Spit us back. Uh, No, it just has a huge design impact. And I think that was the original spark of this idea because it's so unexpected. I saw a picture where the floor was this yellow and I just thought, how cool is that room? Mm -hmm. I mean, you just don't see colors like that all the time because we're so used to thinking of... You know, our neutral carpets, our wood floors. Right, and the natural wood tones yeah. or whatever, or tile. Which or has stone. A, right, all of yeah. that has a very neutral palette, and mm-hmm. it works well on floors. Right. You know, it's very, very easy to work with. But when we see rooms that have some color or an unusual color on that right. floor, Pink. and when you combine that color with the texture, you know, because when you paint these, what you're going to notice right off the bat is you see all the planks now. Right, and all the nails, maybe. I mean, all that comes to the surface. You can see the character of the floors all of a sudden. And that really plays into this unexpected look. Mm -hmm. You know, like you mentioned, a yellow floor. There was one that I saw. I was making the joke that any color would work in this project. Yeah. (laughs) And I kept always falling back on red. Because that seems outlandish. Yes, it seems outlandish. And then I would always qualify that and say, no, I don't mean red. And then I found a red floor. Right. Literally. It was a kitchen. It was the most of it was white, right? Mm-hmm. The cabinets were white. Everything was white. They accented with green, lots of plants and you know, small amounts of green accents. Right. And then the the hallway leading up to that room had wallpaper that featured a fair amount of red in it. Mm-hmm. And then this floor. And it really worked. Yeah. So I really don't think any color is off limit when we're talking about paint on wood floors it kind of like expands the entire color wheel you have available to you right we just don't expect to see those colors on a floor plus it works in any room not just those colors on a floor but any floor whether it's the bathroom bedroom kitchen entryway front porch i mean you're not limited to the spaces where this can go right now the other thing about this that's so cool is just the amount of options out there when you really start looking into it 
Yeah, we briefly touched on checkerboard patterns on the last episode, but it's so much more than just those checkers. You could do stripes, zigzag, a big flower pattern, stencils, and under the umbrella of stencils, now you've got a whole room stencil, a rug, you know, does that mean an area rug, a runner, an entryway rug? A border around the room. Right. A way to transition into natural wood floors. You saw that. You you Mm -hmm. saw one where the room leading up to this, you know, two rooms connected by a doorway, one room was painted, the other room they maintained the natural Natural wood wood plank. And you saw them, they kind of had like a... Like a hexagon style pattern that kind of walked its way into the room a little bit, into the the room that had the painted floors. Just a really cool transition look. Exactly. Lots of different options out there. Now, when we're talking about the stencils, let's just dig into that briefly because there's some specifics that we want to get into. And uh, let's start with, first off, making some explanations so we don't lead people down a little more complicated (laughs) path than we intend. First off, we're talking about stencils on a fully painted floor. Right. So we're assuming that you painted your floor one color, a base color, and then you're adding probably just one other color in a stencil. That's the simplicity of the project. Definitely. You may be picturing a wood floor that's stained and varnished, and then you're stenciling just a little bit of a stencil onto that floor. Mm-hmm. That's doable, but there's more work involved with that, and it gets a little more intricate. Yeah, we're it's not just talking, a little tricky. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about that right now. If you're interested in that, email us at radio at repcolite.com, and we can walk you through it as necessary. But right now, we're talking about painted floors, with just a stencil and, as we said, probably a single color. Because it can mm-hmm. get pretty out of hand pretty quickly if your stencil is intricate. If you right. go to all the kinds of different colors. If it's a big stencil, like one that I saw where it was just a geometric flower, um, the petals were kind of like a gem shape. Yeah, instead they look of, like diamonds or right, something. Right, yeah, exactly. Instead of your normal petal shape. But it was pretty randomized mm-hmm. on the floor. So most of the floor was still that background color. And these large geometric flowers were just kind of scattered through it. And they're large enough where it would be easy to do multiple colors. This is maybe an exception to the rule where I would say that's doable. Right. Most of the time, I think people are picturing maybe really intricate, ornate you know, old tile kind of designs. That can get pretty crazy pretty quickly yeah. if you go that route. Certainly it can be done. It's just, it's not what we're talking about. When we say easy, that's <laughs> not what we're talking about. We're right. talking about the bigger designs. So Haley saw that one room. That was a kid's room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a fun design for a kid's space. I just love that. Right. Now, another way that you could use stencils in a room was a runner that I had seen. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because it reinforced a couple of uh, parts of this that we've talked about already. And I think we covered them last week even more specifically, is how this can fit into any style. Yeah. Right? Sometimes we think of painted plank flooring and we're thinking it's got that farmhouse feel. Exactly. And a lot of them can and do. But it doesn't have to do that because this particular uh, loft apartment that I saw the picture of was modern in its decor. Definitely. But it had a wood plank floor. And honestly, they had before and after picks, and the before pick of the stained and varnished plank flooring looked out of place. Definitely in the in the space, all of the furniture because it was colors. all so sleek looking. Yes, and, and when you have got, this wood pattern, all of a sudden that looks too old for too this sleek old. space. And so they painted it all gray, and then they did a runner using a modern kind of a. What they call it? They called it Bacterio. Yeah, it's from the eighties. 
and it looks like bacteria. Yeah. But it was actually cool. But anyway, again, a very simple pattern that they created on their own. They created their own stencil for that one and just did a runner in white, I think it was, Mm -hmm. on this gray floor. So just two colors, but that look meshed with the entire room. The whole room came together at that point in a modern feel on this old painted plank floor. Those shapes reinforced all of the other things that they had going on in that space. Plus, I love that stencil again because it's not so intricate Mm -hmm. that it's overwhelming. You don't have to plan so much about how you're going to lay that stencil out as you move across a space. (laughs) Right. When you start going into some, yeah, the geometric patterns, you want to make sure you end just right. And that's what I guess we want to get to right now. We'll just transition into that because we got to wrap this up. And if you are going to tackle a stenciling project on a floor, there are a couple things that you're going to want to consider. And the very first thing is planning. You know, as we just mentioned, it's similar to tiling in that you typically want to start in the center so that where it ends on the edges of the room, you don't end up with a quarter of a tile on this side of the room and a full tile on the other side of the room. Yeah. You're going to want it to be equally distributed, right? So you start in the center. It takes some planning to do that. Map out how the stencils are going to line up with each other. You're probably going to want to make sure you've got a bunch of paper towels handy Mm -hmm. because when you start (laughs) and do a lot of practicing. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's very easy to overload your brush when you're doing a stencil. And things can get out of hand quickly. Yeah, that's how you get that bleed through or the stencil gets too messy to where you can't move it to the next spot afterwards. Yeah, do a little testing ahead of time. If you're going to go this route, we'd really recommend stencil adhesive. It's a spray and it works really well to keep the stencil all in place. Even if you've got one of those more intricate stencils, it will keep all of it in place. Sometimes we just taper on the edges And then you're just hoping for the best in the middle. (laughs) This will keep all of it in place without leaving a residue behind. And then I think you can really shop around for these stencils, too, because you want to plan for the level of difficulty that you're willing to get into with these. And if you don't find exactly what you're looking for, the other beauty of this project is that you can create your own stencil. Mm -hmm. You can purchase this Mylar plastic and cut out your own design, or you can order a custom stencil design online as well. Right. So many different options. It's a really cool project. And even if you don't want to go the route of stencils, you could put Stripes on the floor. You could uh, so many different things. Zigzags, squares, even the checkerboard patterns, all of those things. It takes a little thinking how you're going to tape them off and the right products to use will help you with all of that if you decide to go that route. And remember, even if you don't, a solid color paint on the floor still can look really good. You just got to get the right one and we'll help you get that too. Now, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to discuss wood and vinyl flooring trends and what that means for stain matching. That's all just ahead. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back, and we're in the studio with Mackenzie Fluke, Mac Fluke, the ge- the manager. I was going to say the general manager. No, not the general manager. Yeah, the real general manager <laughs> just started <laughs> sending off an email to Mac and I. <laughs> you can back off on that. Mac is not the general manager, just Correct. the manager of the Jenison store. Correct. Right? Yes. Anyway, you're here. You were on the radio a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking just about the trades in general. But right now we wanted to bring you back because you mentioned something when you were here that last time about 
a struggle that you're seeing in the store right now when it comes to color matches. Correct. So recently, you know, we um, at, at our store in particular, but also Repclay in general, we see a lot of stain matches come in. Um, and we, we take a lot of pride in the stain matches that we produce. Um, a lot of us work very hard on them, but at the same time, we always try and make sure that there is good communication between the customer when they come in and they drop off their stain match and what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that we are seeing right now is a lot of faux flooring. So vinyl floors that are not actually wood, but have been digitally printed onto vinyl slabs to look like wood. Yeah, right? a little different than and like that. We've got it in our yes, the other half exactly of our studio. Like that. It looks exactly like that. Yeah. Um, and then and then they will bring in a real piece of let's say red oak, and they have a bleached, whitewash <laughs> stain with black in the grain, and the upper grain is just bleached white really testing the limits correct and there's just we, we always just want to make sure that there's good communication with the customer and what to expect when they get that back because at the end of the day we can get that color but we're never going to be able to change the color of the wood so that is something that is the beauty but also a curse of wood is that when we are staining it it is non-opaque so it is a semi-transparent stain right and so, all of those stains rely on the color of the wood correct, to get as it's some main, of their tone yep as its main canvas because it's only you know it is being wiped on and then wiped right off right so we are going to always see that color of the wood underneath it so that's just something that we're seeing a lot of right now which is not a bad thing it is just kind of goes to show how it you know we are always adapting to deal with new substrates new you know materials that are brought in um, but at the same time just you know making sure that the customer knows what to expect what colors are you seeing I mean what what's really popular that you're seeing with these vinyl yeah yeah we're seeing a lot of just um, natural natural looks to where almost sometimes people bring in a piece of Two pieces of wood, let's say. You have the piece that needs to be matched. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let, let's rewind. Because when you do bring in a stain match, there are a couple things that we ask of you that will ensure that you get the most accurate match as possible. One is a piece of the wood that we will be matching. Um, two is a piece of the wood that the match will be going on. Right. Those two things are very crucial to us in making sure that we can get as accurate of a match as possible. Because if we don't have a piece of the wood that it is going on and you just bring us a sample of the stain or that vinyl flooring and I test it on a piece of pine that I just happen to have in the back and you take it and you put it on hickory they're going to look very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, one, obviously, hickory is a much tighter grain than pine is, but also pine can tend to go green. Hickory is very, very neutral. Um, so just those two things really help us ensure um, that we're getting you know, that accurate match. But like what we were talking about earlier with what we're seeing, um, I've had multiple times people come in with um, a a piece of wood that we want to be matched and the piece of the wood that we are matching and almost right off the bat they look identical (laughs) you know because it is such a natural look to them Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes those can be the hardest but those can also be the easiest because sometimes it's as simple as well let me just put a clear coat on this and see if I can you know if this is done if it's complete then yeah then you know ship it but it can also be very difficult because 
when I put a clear coat on it, it might already be too dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, so trying to come up with new solutions, you know, talking with coworkers and everything like that. Um, we're finding ways to deal with it, but like we said, we all we all enjoy it. That's why we do what we do. One of the um, things that people can consider, though, I mean, it's right off the bat, you know, you're talking to people who've got the wood. Correct. You know, I bought all this red oak that's going to be my trim or whatever, and here's my floor. Mm-hmm. Now I need a stain match. <laughs> but you're also talking to people who haven't purchased that oak yet. Correct. And those are the people that, you know, there's a number of things you can do, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe a place to start is just start by stopping in at one of the stores. Yeah. Show us what your target is going to be. Yep. And maybe if you've got a few cutoff samples of what you could get, we can give you a good idea Correct. as to where you might want to go. Yeah. And as long as there's an understanding, you know, and that's all we, um, you know, usually try and um, make sure the customer understands, whether it be the contractor or the homeowner, because we're seeing it with both, um, is that you may come to pick it up and it might not be what you pictured but that's yeah. that is that is fine tell us that um don't don't force yourself to like it and then go home and stain your door or stain your floors and then walk out of your bedroom every day and say ah oh, those people replicate you know <laughs> yeah. go home check it out how how it looks at your mm-hmm. place and if you'd like to be a little bit different come back and let us know we, we work best when you give us waypoints as to where you want us to go with the product, whether it be paint or stain. If you want it to be a little bit more white, tell us you want it to be a little bit more white. And that's really the nice thing about a custom paint shop is that we are there to listen to you. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's always going to be limitations. And it's just about communicating together so that we both understand what the limitations are. Can you get different wood mm-hmm. if we're going to do this type of match? Um can we go less white? Yeah. <laughs> right? Let's just make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. It's so important to understand, just how, like you said at the very beginning, how different woods take stains mm-hmm. so dramatically differently. Yep. You know, one of the things we saw when I was in the store, tons of it was poplar mm-hmm. because it looks so great. You know, it looks beautiful in the store. Mm-hmm. And so people are the lumberyard or wherever, so they buy poplar. It's going to just stain up. Poplar stains terrible. Yeah, oh, it's horrible. It looks it looks really bad. <laughs> it's a paintable wood. You know, it's <laughs> yes, right. it looks it, very it looks bad. Beautiful paint. Every time I every time I'm staining poplar, it it, and it's it really is confusing <laughs> yeah. for people because it has a little bit of a look like almost like a cherry because that's what we would Correct. see people do they would have cherry cabinets or something mm-hmm. and then they would trim things with poplar to save money yeah <laughs> a softer wood right yes. and we could never get that stain to really look good yeah. not and in poplar a way can be very green very too. green very very green very blotchy it absorbs but pine yep. goes in a different direction hickory in another direction yep. and oak can vary even from yes. piece to piece yeah. with white oak red oak if I had to choose my favorite piece of wood to do a stain match on right, it would be it. white oak yep white oak sure yeah. that's my answer it's one of the <laughs> it's a I nice know, canvas it, it, it it's, is. it's a blank canvas mm-hmm. um do you know that the hardest thing is when you have a piece of white oak brought in within a piece of red oak that it's going to be going on and <laughs> yeah there's know. not a whole lot you can yeah. do yeah, I know. It's it's really intriguing, and that's what we're here to help with. And by all means, if you've got wood already purchased, we'll help you get where you want to go to the very best of our abilities. Mm-hmm. And as Max saying, you know, keep the communication open. If you don't like something, by all means, don't go put it down on the whole floor. Yes. That's the worst come case back scenario. And say, I didn't like it. We will gladly. Nobody wins <laughs> yes, exactly. when you're not happy with the, yep. with the color. We'll get you where you want to be, or at least as close as humanly possible. Yep. But if you haven't made that choice yet for the wood, 
by all means, stop out and talk to us about it because I've run into a number of situations where people who sell it, people who you would think would know, mm-hmm. don't realize how certain woods stain. They're not right. familiar with that. And we will gladly walk you through that and make some recommendations if that would help you get where you want to go. Correct. Mac, you're at the Jenison store. If anybody wants to stop by and say hi, right? I will be there. And <laughs> you definitely want to be known as Mac, not, not Matt. Matt. Yes, I may turns, see. Yeah, it turns out when he answers the phone, people sometimes think you're Matt, right? Matt, Matt yeah. Pat, Mike. <laughs> I like Pat. It's not as common, but it happens. Well, it does I like happen. It. You should go by that. Oh anyway, gosh. Mac Fluke from the Jenison store. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how to apply the sometimes hideous nature of <laughs> modernist architecture in our own settings. Who doesn't want that? That's all next. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back. And, you know, when you're driving around, riding around, whatever, we see all kinds of buildings, all kinds of homes, all kinds of structures. And there's all these different architectural styles involved. And mm-hmm. some things we really like. And sometimes we have knee-jerk reactions like, oh my gosh, that's so brutalist. Why did they even build it that way? Right. They look like eyesores. Like they do. It just looks like concrete, sterile jail. Yeah. Modernist <laughs> structures. Modernist architecture. So, yeah, we all hate that. We don't all hate that. We don't all hate it. But that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. And we're going to show you how to apply that in your home. (laughs) Don't you want to hear this? Who doesn't want to? (laughs) No, actually, this is one of my favorite kind of concepts to grasp because a couple of years, a year ago, you know, we talked about Iris Apfel and we've talked about her over and over again. When I was first introduced to this lady, I was repulsed by the design <laughs> not her she's a wonderful person don't always take it no, I that know. I, <laughs> that's so funny see i would assume by watching you guys that i am a worse person than i am that's a fair assumption <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean well i just don't always say it the right way her design in her home was so cluttered and so crazy and so over the top mm-hmm. that it was I, I couldn't even wrap my brain around it it's it was too horrible much. it's not me yeah But then I dug into the concepts behind what she's doing. And while what she's doing isn't my style, the concepts are really good. And I was able to apply them to my style and develop my style a little further. Mm -hmm. My style. (laughs) Pretty awesome. (laughs) And that's what I think is really fun about this, because there's a lot within modernist architecture that even if we hate what it looks like, there's a lot of value from the concepts behind it that we can apply. Exactly. And there's a really interesting origin story. And who doesn't love that? Right. So so let's get into it. Modernist architecture, if you're not sure what we're talking about, Haley, why don't you describe it? Flat roofs, largely. Large rectangular windows, clean lines, white paint, you know, cover terraces, getting buildings off the ground on pillars right. even. So those are some of the key concepts behind it. The buildings are largely... Well, you know, 
They don't invite. Right. That's not their point. They're... And usually they're made out of concrete, right? And they were able to be made because of reinforced concrete, which started in you know the 1870s was the first invention of that. And that really allowed them to push what they were able to do with architecture and design at that time. And that's what's really interesting, because you mentioned those pillars, because that was one of the concepts. You know, one of the key architects, I can't say his name, Le Corbusier? Something like that, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Nailed you it. Have said it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nailed it. I have no idea what my point was, but I did stick the landing on the name. <laughs> no, I think one of his key, con- he had five key concepts, and one of them was getting the buildings up off the ground with these right. systems of pillars, and that united with you know the new materials, the reinforced concrete and steel frame mm-hmm. construction, allowed them to remove the necessity for um, supporting supporting walls, walls. And, exactly. Yeah. So that allowed more open right. floor plans, and it also allowed for these large horizontal windows that yeah. they could install all the way around. So you had rooms where you could literally stand and almost see 360 degrees around you of the outdoors, and that was very important in their design. Right. It was bringing all those things, like you mentioned, Haley, flat roofs with garden spaces and all of that. It's to get outside. It's to bring the outside in. in. Which is so strange, because when we think of these things, they're so cold, and when you see them on a landscape, you would never think... They look out of place. Right. You would never think that landscape and the beauty of the landscape Mm -hmm. was important to the designers. Right. Right. And yet it was, because they were looking at the building from the inside out. Right. From our viewpoint, our point of view, how we appreciate the landscape. They forgot to look at it from the (laughs) landscape's (laughs) point of view. But anyway, that's modernist architecture in a nutshell. Overview. Why did it start? That's even more interesting. And it all goes back to tuberculosis. Who says you can't thank tuberculosis for (laughs) certain things? (laughs) Has anybody ever said that? I have not personally thanked tuberculosis for anything. Well, we can thank tuberculosis for modernist architecture. Okay. There we go. Great. Something that many of us, we established, don't like. Thanks a lot, tuberculosis. Right. We don't like tuberculosis and we don't like modernist architecture. We like the concepts behind it. So how in the world did tuberculosis? bring about, at least in some way, or influence modernist architecture. That's the cool story. Right. With tuberculosis, the established treatment at the time was fresh air and sunlight. The idea was that these dark, dusty spaces that we were existing in were just harboring germs. Right. And this was why people are essentially sent away to the country Mm -hmm. to have more outside time. Right. (laughs) And so that led to sanitariums being Mm -hmm. developed and designed and part of the elements you know the key design elements in those spaces those buildings were areas where people could be outside you know they've even got stories of people sitting out in these covered porches covered verandas and things like that wrapped up in blankets yeah in the middle of winter just to make sure they get that exposure Hmm. i'm not Not sure how many of those folks made it to spring (laughs) (laughs) right But that was the The concept. The idea, yeah, was that we needed the fresh air. Well, from that, you know, creating those spaces in that way, that functional way to give people a means to get outside and get this proper exposure, that translated into urban architecture and construction. Yeah, and even just the culture at the time, I think, which I really believe it drove a lot of this modernist movement because these sanitariums needed to be designed in a way that related to the treatment to have these open verandas so that people could sit outside and essentially sleep in open air Mm -hmm. and also sunbathe. But that enters these urban areas now because this is how people should just live. 
that, well, that was, was the, the idea. idea. The, the, Instead the, of going out to the country, yeah. let's just bring the country to our house. Right. To combat tuberculosis mm-hmm. and to make right. sure we're more healthy. And eventually it became a bigger, you know, overarching philosophy. Right. You know, one of the main architects, that guy that I said the name right the first time, and I'm going to just leave it there. He has a great line about, you know, the white inside, you know, getting rid of, you know, the dark colors and stuff. Everything was light and white and streamlined and decluttered. And he said, there's no more room for dirt in the corners. And cleanliness in the home leads to cleanliness in the soul. Yes. Right? That's right. pretty powerful. Yeah. Right. It's a little culty, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> a little out there. A little new agey for 100 All right. All right. So that's not going to become part of my mantra, you know, for the cult Good. that I'm going to establish someday. <laughs> but it's an idea. It no, and I what think it has value, for in sure. In the psyche. So anyway, that's where this modernist movement largely came from. It's very interesting to think that these buildings that, as we said earlier, we think of as sometimes eyesores... And being very mechanical in mm-hmm. nature, very practical. But they were all meant to be human focused. I mean, right. really, it was for our well-being to stay healthy, to have better communities, to have buildings that were able to support these large urban areas. Right. So what do we do with that? And I think it's back to the iris thing. Let's take some of the concepts out of it and see what's how they apply to our own spaces. And I think the biggest one right off the bat is the importance of the outdoor space. Mm -hmm. Hugely important in modernist architecture. What do our outdoor spaces look like? And right off the bat, I think about my deck. And my deck is not something that I use a lot. And I have not thought about why. I just figured (laughs) I wasn't a deck person Uh until we started digging into this. And now I think there's actually some design flaws with the space. Sure. I took down some big flower boxes that existed there that kind of closed it in and made it feel like a a defined space. A defined space. And I removed those. And ever since I removed those, we quit using the deck. Interesting. I think in retrospect, I need to look back and and create something, whether it's railings, because the deck sits on the ground, so railings weren't a big issue. But maybe I need that to create that space. The bottom line with that is just if you've got spaces like that that you're not using There is value in figuring out why and what you can do to get them up to speed. Yeah, I mean, we spend 90% of our time indoors probably, even before coronavirus. So I think we need to take advantage of getting more light in the house or being able to have these inside-outside places, whether it's a front porch that we need to declutter so that we can actually use it. (laughs) How many times don't you drive past a house that's got a cluttered up front porch? It's a great space Mm -hmm. if you can declutter it and actually put it to use. So take a look at those things. One last thing would be just the the whole decluttering thing, because one of the concepts behind modernism is streamlined you know, spaces inside, decluttered. Yeah, we is... think about minimalism a little bit. Right. And that may not be our, our thing. You know, we like this big collection. Haley, you mentioned a collection that you have when we were researching this, and you, you made a great point from that. Well, I think I've always assumed that I'm a person that likes my stuff around me, that clutter isn't a bad thing, that I have mm-hmm. a collection and it's on display. But when I really started thinking about it after all this research, am I really looking at any single item on the shelf or is it just becoming stuff right. that a I don't consider stuff, singularly right if you would put out just a few of those items they become a handful Special. of items yeah unique singular they stand out i can focus on them if i could just take some of this idea test it and take away most of the stuff that i have out 
could I highlight a few items at a time and rotate them? Does that do a better job, actually, than having them all out at once? Right. There's stuff to learn from everything, even something like modernist architecture that may not be our favorite thing in the whole wide world. Exactly. Now, that's all the time we've got. We're going to wrap this one up. If you want to find it again, you can find it online at repcolite.com. Whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. All of the Repcolite and Port City Paint stores are open until 3, waiting to help. I'm Dan Hansen. I'm Dan Altina. And I'm Haley Johnson. Thanks for listening.